Hello Builders. Welcome to the Builders Club Startup Founders Podcast. A podcast for founders to upskill themselves and understand the founder mindset. Every week, we sit with the best minds in the startup ecosystem and understand what it takes to start, run and scale businesses. This podcast is from one of our recordings of our water cooler conversations. A weekly community AMA where we get established entrepreneurs to discuss their strategies and their mindset in front of our community members. So sit back, relax and let's start with the episode. Thanks a lot guys for joining in. Uh, you know, today we have Jinain the idea with us. Jinain has been building a product called Drona HQ for the past 18, 17, 18 years now. Right? So, his story is a story of perseverance. His story is a story of sustenance. His story, I mean, anything and everything that and that entrepreneurship basically stands for, Jinain is that. So, I'll just give a, give a little bit of a background about Jinain as well. So, Jinain basically has the sales, finance and ops for Drona. Uh, he's a techie. He's a techie first. Uh, and basically, Drona HQ's features which are constantly evolving for the enterprise customer needs. He's the one who's heading it. Uh, before this, Jinain was with Wipro. Uh, he was he's worked on wireless VOIP. VIP switches, IVRs, anti-wishing solutions, empty ticketing. I think anything, uh, there were multiple projects in Wipro that he has been a part of. And then basically he took a plunge uh, and then started uh, with Drona HQ. So Drona HQ operates in the low-code, no-code domain. It's a low-code, no-code platform which helps engineering teams and product managers to build internal tools. So custom user journeys, digital experiences, automations any kind of custom admin panels, operational apps. You can basically build it at a click of a button. I wouldn't call it click of a button, but very minimal, you know, drag and drop Visivic kind of a format. Uh, multiple used cases, I think you can go through our or Drona HQ's website as well to know more about about the different kinds of use cases. But the, the, the market in which Drona HQ operates is basically... Uh, for a, a three billion dollar, uh, you know, it's it's a huge market. In fact, they operate in a in a market where I think uh, one of their competitors, Retool, has recently raised a valuation, raised a funding of around 40, 45 million dollars, and uh, they are still bootstrapped. I and you, you, I guess you guys have just picked one round of funding in the past seventeen years, and that took, I guess, one million dollars. Yeah, we raised two rounds. Yeah, we raised two rounds, but uh, that's yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think. Make- yeah, I think your philosophy is more towards the going the Zoho way, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense for us. And I, I think the last 16 years, 17 years has been like in a story of we building our enterprise suite of uh, offerings, helping our customers. So largely we've been like, you know, I, I think um, extremely lucky that uh, if I may say the head, right? As we have been very successful in picking up a large um, uh, enterprise customers, also we yeah. are very lucky to have uh, you know right partnership to the right place that has helped us uh, stay uh, low on our external capital needs while keep building what we are building and probably like you know to a point that like right now we 
we launched uh, the loco version in 2019 yeah so i think uh, like you know since last four years we have been like you know we've been able to push the ante to the uh, on the saas side on the self service business of ours so that's something like you know we've been able to do pretty successfully right now so jiden i think you know um, we will get into the nitty gritties of the business as well thoda sa na uh to basically kick it off uh, i basically wanted to understand in this 17 years kind of a journey i think your product itself has gone through multiple pivots as well right or isme bhi i think in every phase there have been uh, there have been highs and lows right so i want to understand ki ye jo product market fit wala wali jo conversation hoti hai how when, when you say a product market fit in these 18 years i think every phase of your product might have had their own product market fit as well right but then you kind of decided to move on and then transition into a different feature as well so wh- how do you people go through i mean what's the decision making process there like i'm so i'll give you a little bit of context here as well i think it's a good question right so um, just to break down our 18 years rather like or 16 years if i may say so right So we actually started in two thousand and seven, right? And two thousand five was when I was still working with Vipro, and we thought, you know, we cannot be a service-led industry, so we cannot really be like you know doing ourselves a service effort, or we continue to be like, uh, keep on doing things like. So people before. started as a consultancy. You people started as a consultancy. No, absolutely, because you know, uh, back in the days, startup was a very fancy word. The ecosystem was not there. you could not go and raise like capital at probably like you know you build up boc and you go and raise money right that's not how it used to be back in the day so anyway uh our story began begins as like you know we 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 started as an enterprise mobility uh suite of offering in the market and this is back in 2005 7 like you know when uh, j2me or the java devices were there blackberry devices were there and our positioning in the market was like you know in hey large enterprises we can help your you know uh cxo and entire leadership team to do something proactive on the mobile devices and that got us absolutely like you know started in the enterprise segment uh however like you know with time probably like you know once we once we raised our say uh, you know first round of capital our, our goal point was to transition into dev tooling business So by 2014, essentially, like you know, that is the time, and like you know, we raised our two rounds of capital, and and uh, we transitioned ourselves completely to dev tooling business. So uh, imagine, like you know, a large uh, CPG player or FMCG player would come to us. They would say, like you know, we want to run uh, enterprise mobility software. Uh, we want to offer our employees, uh, you know, mobility for doing internal applications. And uh, can you help us? Um, with a hybrid or a cross mobile platform like you know that was a problem statement that back in the day we were addressed so we we started as a dev tooling in, in from 2014 and um by 2017 right the entire thing was like you know we had full fledged sdks and uh, you know development software development toolkits etc available that i suppose you used to build a bolt on your software on top so So that was basically like you know how we really like you know by 2014 to 2017, this is what we actually did, right? And uh, from a broader market perspective, segment perspective, now this gave us large customers, 
but this did not give us enough customers because it needed our like you know core container to be like you know to be plugged in into um it was more like a strategic decision for a lot of our customers so as a result like you know we were able to like you know win a lot of large customers but probably we could not really do well in the us so our aspiration was probably like you know make it work in india and then take it to the us so by 2017 2018 we thought like you know low code is the way probably like you know is the direction in which we need to go so we started investments in the area of uh, you know uh, transitioning or rather i would say picking like you know placing a, a layer on top of our existing dev tooling business so that people can drag and drop and they can build applications everything in the context of internal tooling so market remained the same our product kept changing a little bit right to suit that so today for example we continue to uh, have customers who are using our sdk tooling as well as uh, the low code no code tooling so it, it might look like a pivot but actually it kept bolting on top right so that was essentially like you know the way we kept uh, like you know addressing how do we really uh, take us as a as a primary geography and how do we keep doing things over there from a philosophical standpoint we raised both our rounds of capital labor agile round we never raised ovc round and to an extent like you know today when we are doing a multi million dollar arr business we don't think we really need to raise you know vc round uh, to get us through the next point so we are targeting like you know whatever our aspirations are i think we should be able to make to link it there but yes yeah. zor out as it's a it's a very interesting story jena i think two or three things which i got got from this is number one and correct me if i'm wrong i think this is a direction which a lot of enterprise saas usually take here they try to do their pilots in india but their main target main target uh, market is usually the us or europe and that's yeah. probably because the 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 same amount of effort gives them multiples gives them gives them roi in multiples there um having said that um, i i wanted to understand that is that is that the general philosophy that is usually faced that is usually uh, you know followed by a lot of saas players who are who intend to be successful i mean in india i mean this is the usual norm that we have seen are there any exceptions to the case or do you think because in india i mean from whatever experience that i have also had the the customers usually end up not paying that much and they they expect a lot from you that's usually not the case in terms of uh, mindset as a client in the us is what i understand Yes, more like you know, you go to let's assume like you know you are targeting Intel as a customer. Probably they'll give you like a hundred thousand users license, and obviously they will like you know they if you go them go to them and tell them like you know this is gonna be costing the fifty dollar a user a month. You we aren't really able to cut it that way, right? Now neither the US actually. You go to a Costco or a probably like you know Walmart, and you know you're dealing with a huge uh, number of users. but obviously in the us the discounting and the per user cost etc will be very different and their willingness to pay will be very different than in the india so probably from a regional perspective there is a, there is a there is a difference right and i think rightly so so but but having said this like you know if you if you look at salesforce like you know we compete yeah. salesforce at some uh, like you know in some of the market it's right and we do see them like you know their base licenses are starting at 1800 dollars right and talking with the crm software rather than not the not the complete suite of say you know uh, the the marketing the marketing cloud or the service cloud right so when i look at it in the in the entirety i think it it makes sense that you know you need to 
you need to start with the base price somewhere and then you start discounting right so india region discount a little more aggressive than probably the other regions that's how i would like to i would say this india is a it is a beautiful market i don't think you should shy away from doing india because like you know there's a there's a uh, at this point in time i think indian enterprises are equally hungry to get the right the newer tools and probably like you know they they may have budgets not as probably like you know what you might just find you might not be $100,000 deal with an indian large enterprise up front yeah. yeah. right why having said this maybe like you know 50k or 100k contract might not be bad right so you might want to aim for that no no absolutely i basically asked this question on behalf of the people who are basically starting out enterprise yeah. as businesses yeah. and that is my job here I basically ask you dumb questions or layman questions just because I know that the people who are listening in, they might have those queries and better better get their doubts cleared here than make those mistakes and learn from it. Um, okay, so I think I want to jump a little bit into the low-code, no-code market in itself because I think this is this is the dev this is the dev tools market as as you as you pointed out, but I think. I think in 2017 2018 I think bubble was the first no code tool which kind of took things mainstream uh, so to speak at least that was kind of the tipping point where even the normal users the day to day users also started to get and now I think this this thing has kind of exploded and now with the AI layer on top I think things are going to be very exciting in the next 2 3 years you know uh, everything is going everybody will try to get uh, things done at a click, click of a button and they will actually succeed as well oh uh, just wanted to understand how do you see the market right now as in how have you seen the market evolve because you have been there right from the beginning and not just so, in india you have seen it globally uh, how how have you seen it evolve and how are you seeing the market uh, you know move ahead for anyone who's trying to build now in the low code no code market what should he have uh, you know uh, it's a absolutely um a uh, fabulous questions well thanks for asking right so one thing that i would uh, um like you know if you should look at low code as a market in its entirety right it's it's a huge market as you rightly said like you know around you know this is like uh, going to be around 20 30 30 billion dollars of market in next two years three years right and probably we are around 12 to 13 million 13 billion dollar market at this point in time but if you break it down right so there is uh, you know there is a play for enterprises and there is a play for the play that bubble plays probably since you brought up bubble bubble spray is helping you build your saas it's it's probably helping you build your next application right for for your you know for a b2c business so you might their their, their market positioning is we are we help entrepreneurs take build their first application so that you don't really need to go the harder route of like you know plowing in more money and build your application fast so that you can go to the market faster and raise your money faster that's bubble speech our market positioning is for doing everything internal applications right so now uh, within the internal application space again there is a huge market there we'll have players like microsoft we'll have players like salesforce so our market at this point in time our hyper niche is doing internal tools and probably like you know if you see web engineering layer is where our focus is so uh, like you know you talk about see any fintech player let's take that as an example right so if you are if you are building a fintech you need operational tools 
the ops tools or customer success tools. Now to build those tools is where we are positioning, you know, a low code, no code story. And as you just mentioned, like, you know, uh, we compete very heavily against, uh, you know, a company called Retool. So, you know, again, in the hyper niche that we operate in, we are kind of competing within this large low code space with a very huge set of players. Retool being one of them, AppSmith being one of them, and many others, right? So, uh, while the space is huge, you will have players who are doing BPM, like, you know, people like, say, maybe a Kissflow or probably an Appian or a Pega. That, that's one space. Then, we are, you know, we'll have these, uh, you know, the other local local players, like a Zapier, which is like integration as a service, as a Zapier or an Integromat. However, our space is web engineering. Okay. And then you'll also have database players like an, like an Airtable or probably, you know, maybe a Notion or whatever, right? So, you know, there's a huge gamut of space. So it's extremely important for probably like, you know, the first-time founders over here, uh, you know, you, you need to think about keep on hyper-segmenting your market to a point that you can see like, you know, the atomic part. Look at it as a, you know, as your beachhead, as your Normandy that you want to penetrate and then probably see what's your chance to win in that market, right? What's your right to win? Figure that out and probably compete. So today, today when in the large $3 billion market, probably we are hyper-segmented into internal toolings. And when we look at internal tooling, here are the three options. And today we are head to head or probably like, you know, neck on neck, like, you know, we're fighting, uh, you know, these three or four players and it's extremely effective, right? And today probably like, you know, at a place where we are, we are probably like in a shooting distance of a $10 million area. And thanks to our simple strategy of going hyper niche in a large market and, you know, whatever retool is doing probably like, you know, by raising $45 million, our advantage of staying in India allows us to stay lead and keep like, you know, do, do our, you know, the David versus the Goliath story right from here. Right. So it really helped. In, so, in that. This is this is a fabulous thing. There are two or three things which I want to touch upon. And I'm sure guys, if you have any questions, keep them ready because we'll also open it up for Q&A. Uh, Jiren doesn't have much time. So we'll try and optimize it as much as possible. Two things here, Jiren. Um, one is niche versus trying to do everything. Because this is a trap which a lot of first-time founders fall in. Then they try to do everything. You know, especially yeah. when you're building, they say, yeah, I want to do this also, I want to do this also, I want to do this also. What is the advantage that a high, that going hyper niche on a segment gives you? Because the, the, the other side or the flip side of the story is that people will say that, hey, I might lose out on a, on a lot of clients who have this requirement if I'm not giving this. And how am I going to find the clients who have this exact problem? Is it that you identify the lowest hanging fruit and then say, hey, this, I, I'll basically go into hyper, into this hyper niche because these are the customers that are easiest to find or these are the problems which are easiest to find and grab and get that revenue. How do you, how do you figure that bit out? I hope my question is clear. Yeah, what I, what I understand is like, you know, how do you really like, you know, is, is there a merit in doing hyper niche versus Let's build all in cater to large and largest. How do you identify that niche? So I'll tell you, like, you know, our story of 16, 17 years has been like, you know, came to a realization, hyper niche works better, right? There are two 
distinct advantages that you get with hypernation. One is extreme focus that it requires to go in depth about doing one particular thing, right? And typically, like you know, if you if you look at uh, you know the you know the la the more developed markets, right? Say let's assume uh, North America is a territory. Uh, you know, I'll give you a very simple example, right? Uh, you know, let's assume you're solving something for an insurance segment or an insurance industry, right? Now, when I look at probably like you know, um, say India as a market, right? When I look at India as a market. Today probably you will get, you will say, you know, there are 50 large insurance players and after that probably there are insignificant players, if at all there are any, right? So, but when you look at, probably like, you know, I'm just talking about a hyper niche of only doing general insurance. Let's assume for a moment, right? 40 large players in India and probably if you sell to them, here is your time, right? But if I look at US uh, as a counterpart to India market, you'll have 40,000 generally insurance players in the US alone. Or probably you pick up an industry and you will find that, right? So the problem with you want to wanting to do many is because your market size probably in India is limited, right? And you don't want to like you know keep on expanding your revenue, you have aggressive targets, etc. You will keep doing it. But if you if you look at going, say like you know, probably use India's 40 insurance players as a launchpad to do well and then probably take it into the US and then like, you know, look at the 40,000 as that. It will allow you to mental, uh, mentally to actually focus on that particular niche, right? And the advantage you get is like, you know, probably today we are living in a world which is not a China. We are not, we are living in India, right? We are not China, A. Which means we are actually exposed to the, all the global competition out there. Today, we have like, you know, gazillion of Indian customers who probably might be on retool and we are probably like, you know, fighting to the nail with them so that, you know, we can convert them back into a Drona HQ customer, right? So we are living in an absolutely like, you know, very, very globally competitive world. And now the advantage that the retool might have over us, probably they would have been much more, uh, you know, hyper segment. They were doing a focused thing, right? You went with a very, very smaller definition of their ICP, which is like, okay, we will only work with, say, you know, um, internet startups in India, for example, right? Now, but the, but the advantage that they really get with that is their ability to look at it like, you know, say internet startup, probably like, you know, they would do hundreds of internet startups in a very short period of time. And then that will allow you to keep on like, you know, doing other segments, right? So with hyper segment, I think your ability to win your customers will be way faster. And probably like, you know, your ability to find repeatable use case will be very faster, right? But you keep on doing broader things, your sales engine, your marketing engine, everything will have to do multiple duplication of efforts. So I'm a big fan of a guy called Jeffrey Moore, right? He wrote a book called Crossing the Chasm. And one of the beautiful he writes and he mentions is you look for your beachhead, go and attack your beachhead. Wherein, like, you know, it's so atomic to that atomic level that, you know, you and uh, maybe a couple of more players will emerge as your com as your competition tools, right? Yeah. And then you focus on those as competition and go neck on. Again, another thing that, like, you know, my very good friend at a company called Zykus, right? He told me uh, my my early days, right? So he was, like, my senior to me and he told me, you should look for a large competitor. Don't look get a smaller competitor but look for a larger competitor and compete with them you have nothing to lose trust me yeah. that's yeah so yeah so i think you got the name right crossing the chasm right yeah, yeah. 
I this is I mean I am a great uh, I am a very voracious reader. So I've read that book. A lot of learnings. I think that is one of the definitive books where the where the bell curve of innovators uh, and uh, you know early adopters, early majority, late majority is there. So I I know the book. Yeah. The item is like you know what is your ability to penetrate the market? You cannot really look at like you know even with a massive allied force, right? They did not choose to go twenty different beaches. They picked up their one main beach as a as a landing zone, right? Yeah. And learning from World War Two, but extremely relevant. Yeah. So it like you know if all the founders were here, no matter what is your segment, right? Go after one or two competitors and go hard. Yeah. No, no, this is absolutely true, and this is the whole core philosophy of an MVP. Also, na, when you're building that, you build only one feature, and that feature you just focus on that one feature. Focusing on that one feature means that you're focusing on one used case only, and then you basically become a become a master in that. Also, I'll tell you what, right? See, the you know the funding fad is a very new fad. If yeah. uh, over the last ten years, you would see like you know this has happened, right? But you go back in history. You look. You look at guys like Larry Ellison, the man who built Oracle, for example, right? Yeah. So if you if you read Larry Ellison's book, very clearly he says in the, in their early days they did not really go about uh you know building every feature the customer wanted, but they kept on promising. Okay, you sign up now and you get this. Yeah. Customer yeah. willing. Just be just be reasonable with your customers. Don't be in a rush to keep adding newer features just because the customer is demanding. Just tell them sign up, and you know you're gonna get this. So with that, you are making your customers fund your product uh, life cycle. A, B is with every new customer you get, you also get ten more additional references. If at all you yes. do great, yes. right? You need yes. to really imagine, like you know, in the world at least where I come from, uh, you know, we really don't see that the only playbook to make a hundred million dollar business. Is a VC money. We don't really subscribe to that line of thought, right? We're very clear. There's a Zoll line of doing it. There's a Zapier line of doing it. You can become a hundred million dollar business if you do really just one thing well, right? And yeah. that's that probably like you know our philosophy and it has worked. You know, this is this is what I think all the experienced folks will tell you this only, you know, and and the early and the and the younger guys will never listen to them. So <laughs> This is something which you know, in a a college kid will always have hundred ideas that they'll be working on together. Aaron, yeah, yeah. The question is, it's not about whether it's it's very tempting, right? So let's assume you are today you are talking, say an ICICI bank for example, like you know they they tell us okay, you know we we'll buy a product whatever like you know your services, your licenses, you give us A B C additional things. Now what the situation we are looking at is like you know. My product was going in direction A. They have asked us to me add B, C, D features. I'm going to stop all that line of work because I'm not going to get engineers overnight in my company. Uh, Will I? It's uh, not likely. But if I do, it's not going to be like in the, you're going to start being productive from day two, right? So the idea over here is how you still win the customer without really losing your line of sight or your focus, and then like you know. Make sure, like you know, the customer is acquired. So the the strategy over here is not to say a no to a customer. It's to say a yes. But in when would you deliver? Is when how you are going to position. That's that's coming. That's actually going to come from your sales and probably like you know, are you going to uh like, you know strategy to win your customer? Yeah, you know, I think I think upselling itself is an art, especially in the B two B space. 
where every every requirement of every client is custom but you will have to figure out the similarities and then basically focus on that specific features and then depending on the kind of traction that you're getting on specific features or the requirements that the asked from different customers you basically choose which ones you should build depending on the kind of bandwidth that your team also has um very interesting yaar uh, you you seem to be you seem to be a, to be a voracious reader as well ha huh, dinin you like to read quite a bit uh, you should read quite a lot uh, over a period of time i can start books but i can't finish <laughs> so yes yeah nowadays i think i think mobile the 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 screen time has increased right and the and the you know, audio books so it, it allows us to like rightly summarize uh, and like you know get something at tidbits yes So I'll just ask one question, and guys, uh, we'll limit the Q and A here a little bit. So anybody who has a question, please raise your hands from the Zoom button, or if you have a question, just be ready because post this question, we'll open it up for Q and A. Jinnayal, uh, I basically wanted to understand. It's a very interesting point which you talked about is the funding fad, which is going on right now. Uh, I basically wanted to touch upon the because you operate in the B two B enterprise domain, a very lucrative domain. Right, that's a very lucrative industry. We've done right, and I've and and majority of the unicorns, I guess, eighty percent of the unicorns in the world are SaaS companies, right? And and I think of those majorities are are enterprise SaaS. Uh, just wanted to understand one. What do you think in general of the whole? So I, you know, the problem with the builders club is we basically have, uh, we basically have uh, startups. uh from all stages right so idea stage is also there mvp is also there early traction all this also there what we have seen is that the idea the the younger the company or the founder the more fascinated they are with funding money right so somebody has an idea their question is not how do i do a pilot or get customers their question is how do i get investors right so i basically wanted to understand the you know what do you think about in general the funding this thing and second for somebody who's building in the saas or rather the enterprise saas domain do you really need funding to grow exponentially uh and that's the that's usually what the founders say that i want to in you know having figured out the product market fit now that We want to grow exponentially and pay basically pick up the funding. Do you think that money is really required? And I think money is required. There are no two ways about it. You cannot really like you know build uh, anything. It's it's a everything is a you know you treat it. Everything is a puncture of input, right? And uh, you know you might be able to uh, probably like you build a product, but uh, you would need you know a team around it so that you know you can take it to the enterprise and all of that, right? But having said this, see, uh, you know, we are all talking about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs here, right? The only difference between an entrepreneur and a manager is the, you know, the improportional relationship between aspiration and resources. We are the bunch who probably, like, you know, would start with something we might not even have in our pockets, right? But yet we would want to dream of building a next Alliance or a next Facebook or whatever, right? That's 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 the aspiration that we hold. So the idea as well is very simple, right? Can you build it without capital? Answer is no. But whose capital need is what you really need to think about, right? So VC money might be a bit easier in that sense. Like you know, you make ten pitches or you make hundred pitches. I'm sure, like you know, one of the one or two would actually come into, like you know, you might you might get like you know, 
I don't think raising money is going to be that difficult. But the problem is, like, you know, what I see with the VC money, I, again, that's just my view, right? Take it with a pinch of salt, guys, right? I, I have it to read or probably, like, you know, re kind of completely align with a guy called Jamaat, the guy who runs the social capital, right? He came out with a very interesting uh, letter, annual letter. And he says this entire VC thing, probably, <laughs> like, you know, is not... Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's it's more like a Ponzi scheme in his words, right? That let mm. that let out there, right? And it, it, the more you read, right, it becomes more and more profound. Why is it that way, right? So probably I I leave that to you know how you guys really want to like you know, build your business. All I'm going to leave you with a thought is like raising capital is not the only playbook to build a hundred million dollar business. There's those out there. There's Zapiers out there. You guys can, like, you know, just in case, it's a little harder route, right? But, you know, having said this, you get a lot more benefit once you are there, right? A is you can continue to, like, you know, follow your passion. You can complete, continue to keep building things the way you want it. And trust me, there are a gazillion opportunities, right? You will have him and opportunities coming your way. You will have, like, you know, a fabulous, like, you know, once you are there, once you reach, a significantly like you know good ARR and like you know all those things you should be in a very comfortable position to like you know, steer the ship the way you would want right and I'm not saying you build a bomb and pop shop the goal and the vision is to build a hundred million dollar ARR business which might probably catapult into a billion dollar valued business that's that's the way and in fact in India we have a classic case zero da isn't it right yeah all so, oh, like of course it's not a B2B SaaS but the idea is you could like you know there's a path yeah 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 that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thought, Janine. I have a few other questions. I'll just chime in as and when. There are a few few people who already have the hands up. Akash, uh, if you have a, you know, you can ask a question. So, hi, Sohil. Hi, uh, Janine. Uh, I'm not a techie. And one thing which clicked to me is that no code or no code thing because I have really been struggling with my, you know, uh, Take resources. And what we do, basically, we save lives in accidents and emergencies. So we are more or less and a bootstrap company. So, you know, this, this funding scenario made the market so high that it became almost next to impossible for us to hire the right kind of resources in the market. More so in Bangalore, I think, people <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> So, challenge and then when you when I heard this low code or no code thing, which for me, of course, it's uh, what do you say, rocket science. Because I don't tech. In tech, Right? So, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is helping me with tech, and he was saying that yes, low code and no code is something which could be worked, but more from the front end perspective, not from the back end perspective. So our entire backend is actually made on uh, Django. So I don't know if, uh, you know, this concept of low code or no code can actually help us doing the backend work as well. I think there are lots of great tools out there, right? You might not need to use one tool, but, uh, you know, a stack of multiple tools, right? So just to give you an example, like there's a tool called Xano. Now Xano allows you to like, you know, build a backend, build APIs, everything without writing a line of code. Right. Okay. So, Xano, I'll just put it into chat, right? So you can think, sure. like, you know, look up Xano, right? And then, 
front end engineering right so you just in case like you, know, you want to build something on on top a head on top of you know your data sources or databases blah 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 right you could you could use a tool like drone hq or probably any of our competitors right so there are web engineering tools there are database tools there are api services tools so there are a lot of tools you can you could put all of them together and like you know you can easily like you know you can build things right but having said this right if you're looking at like you know finer experiences you want to build an uber uber like experience or probably like you know say a desi version say an ola like experience you might want to hire the wala post to do it right because then if you if you care about the of course they would go there but if you want to do an mvp go to the market build something low code will definitely get you there right but okay of course bubble like i think so i mentioned bubble bubble probably might also be a great tool for you to build a uh, you know user experience the way you would want to right from websites to everything right so these are some of the go to tools i think you might want to take a look perfect thank you yeah. thanks a lot agash for that question so trupti and sail uh, sail i think you can go next you'll have to switch off everything hey sail now white screen in Oh, probably I am the only one who's not able to see you. No, no, even I can't. Yeah, even I cannot figure out why this is not working. <laughs> uh, so, thank you, Jain. This, yeah, Jain. Thank you so much for the session. I have learned a lot. So my question is a background. So I'll talk about that. So I am trying to build an edtech, and uh, the thing is, when VC deals are down by sixty-four percent. but the number of deals have increased mm-hmm. and uh, when i whenever i talk to my friends in uh, in the who have already done it who have achieved a pmf for reach series a they say like nobody is touching uh, at tech right now why because uh, this already so much capital is deployed there and uh, they need to show something they need to show some kind of promise about their fate then there can be something done in the industry and the thing is it it is all bnl and uh, I, so my question is so right now i'm just looking for pc so how can i display that i will have a good pnl in future at preseed scale i think with the preseed i don't think you really need to go to a vc for that right you could actually tap angel one of my very good friend is actually building of you know a very um you know i would say uh, not an ad tech business but an ed tech business so targeting k3 and one of the interesting thing that he is doing is he is reaching out to all the friends and family for example like you know even us for example since we are friends so you know he just he, he created a pitch deck he created what is he looking to raise He he came out. He he keeps publishing his numbers on a on a monthly basis. Like you know, here is how is my growth looking like month on month basis, or probably I am not sure if he's doing on week on week basis. But the idea is religiously is put all the KPIs in place to be tracked. So if you're building, for example, a SaaS business, I wouldn't be interested in seeing what's your like you know what's your uh you know uh your customer acquisition growth looking like. What's your probably like you know your revenue looking like. on a month on month basis or quarter on quarter basis or what's what's your growth trajectory looking like right those whatever other parameters that probably like you know might be making sense what's your churn looking like what's your ltv blah 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 right so my suggestion to you 
other than like you know looking at like you know VC deals going down 60 percent don't even bother like you know VCs I would rather suggest go knock the door at the angels not create your template like you know what you're looking at and raising right I, I think like you know um, there are a lot of things material out there let's assume you want to raise 1.8 crores or 3 crores or like you know in dollar terms $500,000 put in like you know this is my minimum branch that I'm looking like you know that you'll be able to place it and today like you know I don't think there's a dearth of investors people would want to be an investor the pitch that probably like, you know my friends smartly use this I like you know you will you will be able to call yourself as an angel right so ideas turn it around into an opportunity to bloody sell your your company oh. right your initial set of investors don't get bothered about VCs. That's that's my two cents. Again, take it with a pinch of salt. Vijayan, I have one small bit uh, I wanted to ask, and this is something which um, a lot of founders basically kind of miss out on is, especially when you're a techie, you focus a lot on building the product, but selling is what really gets the revenue, right? And majority of the founders focus so much on the product that they forget about selling. So I want like to, you know, get your uh, take on the, uh, you know, how should any techie founder, because everybody is happy in their own comfort zones. Everybody, whoever is love, who loves to code and build tech, they'll focus this, they'll try and build the golden monster. I'll build the best product that you sell for itself. So what's your take on? How important is selling a product rather than building the right product or building the right product? I would take it to another extreme point. I think you should sell first and build later. If you can sell it to a VC, why not sell it to your customer? And I I feel like, you know, it, we did it in, we, today we practice this, literally. The only reason we are able to, like, you know, call ourselves a semi-bootstrap, right, and not really needing, like, you know, gazillion, raising gazillion dollars, is only because of the simple thing is like you, know, you don't really build until uh, you uh, or probably like you need to parallel the activities, right? You need to go to the market, make your pitch deck ready before your product, right? In fact, Amazon is a classic example. Before even you build a feature, it will make you write a six-pager document, a PR document before you can even release that into the market, right? And I would strongly advise you guys to read this uh, book from Larry Ellis. He has done it beautifully. He would sell dreams and then go ahead and build it. And probably, like, you know, Oracle back in the day was extremely shitty in fact. If you, if you like, you know, go by what people have really wrote, right? But the point is, to build something significant, you might need to, like, you know, do that, right? And again, if you want to stay bootstrapping, you can raise, like, you know, say multi-million dollars, go ahead and do it, right? Then the path is very clear. Hire the best, get the best done. But, in my opinion, if you really want to, like, you know, uh, you know, say raising, there is a, there is a VC winter out there. You are not really in a position to raise money. Don't really, in fact, it's a golden opportunity. I would say, this is the best opportunity because you really get to focus on customers, the ones who are actually going to pay you, right? So, that's that's the way I would put it. No, no, I absolutely agree here. I believe all entrepreneurs need to be salesmen first. Even if you're raising funds, you're basically selling your product to an investor and you need to sell. You're selling and turning you in a point of time either to an investor or to a customer. And it's better to get the customer money rather than the investor money the way we say it. Uh, well, that, that's, that's again something which we have as thing. Um, how was your experience? 
Oh, this is good, man. Amazing. I liked it. Thanks for having me here. That was the episode. Hope you got some rich insights for your idea from this. If you liked the episode, do share it with your friends and rate us on Spotify, Google Store, and iTunes. If you want to join the Water Cooler Podcast live, join the club at www.thebuildersclub.me. Until next time, upwards and onwards.